Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. What do you love about music? To begin with? Everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Kung Fu is not just about kicking and punching. It's also about hitting a groove to achieve epic awesomeness. I'm Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. Today, we open up the Rock Doctors Clinic to help a Kung Fu master in need of some new sounds. And we'll review new albums by Nine Inch Nails and Sam Phillips. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. That is Katy Perry's new single, Roar, which she also performed at the MTV Video Music Awards. Jim, it used to be that the uh, the Grammy Awards were really the only nationally televised awards ceremony that uh, got a big sales bump uh, in the stores in the days after the ceremony, the event was broadcast. But now the VMAs are starting to step up as a huge sales vehicle. These performances uh, on the VMAs do have some impact on viewers' buying habits. For example, Roar, number one single, third week in a row, a sales increase of 15 to 20 percent from the previous week. Justin Timberlake, that 12-song medley, pick a favorite song out of that bunch of songs that he performed. <laughs> he absolutely dominated the show in terms of airtime. But the track Mirrors uh, picked up 60% sales. And Miley Cyrus, you know, people talk about the controversy and, you know, was the performance good? Was it bad? Was it, you know, in poor taste? Was Miley just being Miley, you know, and now a 20-year-old woman instead of a teenage queen? Her song, We Can't Stop, nonetheless went up 5% in sales. So some good came from it at the cash register. Indeed it did, Greg, and also it added the word twerking to Middle America's lexicon. While we're on the subject of uh, movement on the charts, this is a curious story out of the U.K. The Beatles albums have finally gone platinum. Now you say to yourself, wait a minute, these are some of the (laughs) best-selling albums (laughs) in the history of recorded music. How is it that they only just went platinum? turns out that the British charts had some weird rules. The system of platinum sales has only been in place uh, since 1973. That was after the Beatles broke up, English record companies had to request recognition of sales for albums that were released before that date. And now we have Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club banned on the charts in the UK again with triple platinum status. That's in the UK having sold more than 900,000 copies. In the US, platinum is a million copies. In the UK, it's 300,000. I guess it's better late than never to get that framed platinum record.
Greg, that is Blurred Lines, not the hey, 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 feel-good hit of the summer from Robin Thicke, but one that preceded it, but which is jumping in popularity because it shares the same title. This is a great story. There's an 86-year-old classical music composer from Canada named John Beckwith, and a couple of years ago he recorded an album called Jalsagar that has this piece Blurred Lines on it. It's a piece for violin and harpsichord that he calls it a slow elegy. The Canadian Music Centre, which monitors recording and licensing for the Canadian music industry, noticed an incredible jump in the number of streams that this Beckwith classical blurred lines was receiving, uh, jumping up to 4,000 streams a month. And they were wondering why all of a sudden. And then they realized people are Google searching blurred lines and coming up with the classical composer's version, not Robin The story in the UK's Guardian adds that, uh, quote, I'm told the lyrics are bawdy. Indeed, they are. Oh, help me, please, doctor, I'm damaged. There's a pain where there once was a heart. It's sleeping, it's abating, can't you please tear it out? You're listening to Sound Opinions, and Greg, it is time once again for you and me to don our white lab coats, put on the stethoscopes, get out our prescription pads, and give our listeners another installment of Rock Doctors. This is when we help one of our listeners with some kind of musical ailment. Could be an allergy to some kind of musical genre, could be an addiction to a certain band, or maybe our patient is just stuck in a rut. Basically, how this works is that we'll talk to our patient, get a little bit of his medical history, uh, his or her dislikes, likes, habits, etc., and then you and I, Dr. Cott, will prescribe two records we think will do the trick. This week, Sifu Richard Barron is in the office. He's the founder of a martial arts school called Kung Fu Power in Highland Park, Illinois. And he contacted us to help him with the musical soundtrack for his classes, which range in age and discipline. He admits his playlist has gotten a bit stale. So we're hoping we can do a little something to fix that. Sifu Richard Barron, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thank you, guys. And we should explain here that Sifu means master, right? It actually means something slightly different than master. It means teacher, father in Chinese. Let's start with why you came to the Rock Doctors. Sure. So we have a soundtrack that plays in our studio, and we've been listening to it for quite a number of years now, and we are ready for some more variety. You teach, what, about 100 people a month and then do private lessons too? So with our studio... Depending on what we're doing depends on what music we play. So if mm-hmm. we were teaching Chen-style Tai Chi, we would play something slow. Or if we were teaching Qigong, we would play something slow. If we were doing meditation, we may not play music at all, depending on, on which meditation we're doing. And if we're doing Kung Fu, maybe we play something to get people in the groove. And sometimes when we're doing some fighting, we might play something that's pretty epic to Is set this the mood. <laughs> typical of martial arts training to have a soundtrack? Uh, you know, it's generally not. Uh, most martial arts schools is total silence. When I did my training, I lived up on a mountain and with my teacher and, and my kung fu brothers, and we had this wonderful experience of, of, of peace. But our days would be very long. We would train from bright and early in the morning all the way till late at night. And late at night, 
I'd like to put on some some music in the studio and you know keep myself <laughs> you need some music by that. Now wait, we got to backtrack here, seafood. When I lived up in the mountain, I was kind of like automatic. Oh, that sort of hit me like a truck. Okay, tell us about when I lived up in the mountain. What exactly was going on there? Okay, so when I was young, I was very into martial arts, and I decided that as a teenager that I wanted to find a live-in martial arts school and live the life of a kung fu monk. So I found my teacher. His name is Lao Tzu James McNeil. And so I went and lived with him. And in this experience of, of going up to you know someplace where you're very isolated from reality, you get this chance to really get to know yourself well. How old were you when you did this? So I started when I was 16. Okay. So I take it his training was very much silent. There was no music involved at all. Not when we were training there. Okay. When did you come across the idea, I need some music for this? This seems like an innovation in your area. So I would be training all day long. And at the end of the day, we'd have to practice everything we learned. So I'd bring out some speakers and have my my little CD player and we'd put on some tunes. When you have an eight to 10 hour lesson and you want to get some practice in after that, you're trying to figure out, okay, what's going to keep me in the groove? Mm-hmm. I'm getting the impression, Greg, that Sifu is as serious about music as he is about these martial <laughs> arts. We can relate to this level of dedication. Yeah. Well, the idea, too, of not only music but lyrics. I would imagine words matter, or do they, when you're talking about this as accompanying your, your training? So there are some songs on our playlist, like um, Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, where I really feel like Kung Fu is about rising above your fear and, and, and finding inner peace and when you don't fear the reaper <laughs> right it means you can problem solve a lot better seasons don't fear the reaper nor do the winds of the rain when you're disempowered, you feel a sense of you can't do it. Music and Kung Fu, they help someone transform in their own mind, and it enables them to begin this path to awesomeness. The ideal scenario would be not only music that fits the training exercise, but words that also empower your Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a, a song on our soundtrack by Florence and the Machine, Kiss with a Fist. Mm-hmm. And that's such a, a wonderful song to spar to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it just it sets the mood. You hit me once, I hit you back. You gave a kick, I gave a slap. You smashed a plane over my head. Then I said fire to our What kind of music seafood doesn't work? Discordant. Mm. Things that kill the buzz. When I'm teaching Tai Chi or meditation, something that is nice and smooth, 
when we're doing regular kung fu class, now something that, that's rocking. When we're doing sparring, something that inspires epic awesomeness and gets people to rise <laughs> out of their, their shell into the superhuman I like epic awesomeness. I love that. I love to go to concerts like that. We strive for that with everything (laughs) we listen to, yeah. So, okay, epic awesomeness. Can you define it a little bit better in terms of rhythm and and melody? And, I mean, what are are those the elements that are there? It sounds like very anthemic, big choruses, that kind of elements. I'm just thinking out loud here. Sure. So our playlist has a huge amount of movie soundtrack music. So whether we're doing something from The Matrix or from Conan the Barbarian or from 300 or from Watchmen, like the movies often have these epic scenes that appropriately describe Kung Fu. novices when it comes to this stuff. So uh, tell us something about martial arts that could inform the kind of music that would be most appropriate for. So music and martial arts have all these great comparisons where they're very similar. They both have ancient roots. Uh, The people that practice them have to practice very hard, which is the secret of Kung Fu, that through this hard work and thousands and thousands of hours of training, you're able to achieve something that's superhuman. The people who are the best at it are worshipped, the rock gods or kung fu gods in, in that sense. Perhaps you guys could give, give some comparisons that you would think. Well, and also, you know, the explosion of energy, which seems so casual. You can teach people to break bricks, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they make it look easy. But, of course, it has taken what you just said, thousands of hours of dedication (laughs) and concentration. Iggy Pop comes out on stage. He explodes, makes it look easy. But he spent a life getting that right. I think we're honing in on this. Maybe one more thing. What is a typical class and what kinds of music are you going to be looking for to take people from A to Z? So – I'm looking for music that gets people in the groove in their training, that keeps them going, that inspires them to push to the next level, that takes them into the spiritual journey that music can take people into, that brings them closer to the Tao or the way. All right. You got some music for the Tao, Dr. DeRogatis. I mean, we've got Sifu Richard Barron of the Chinese Martial Arts School, Kung Fu Power here. He needs some music that is going to be epically awesome. Well, That's quite a task. Epically awesome and groovy, but also spiritual. So this is where I was going. You know, you had initially stumbled across this new album, the second one from Stephen Bruner, Los Angeles bass player and DJ multi-instrumentalist known as Thundercat. I've been listening a lot to his second album, Apocalypse, came out earlier this year. And what I love about it is partly that spirituality, the deep content and the masterful this guy is a virtuoso on bass there is a lot of jazz fusion like miles davis's rock records and and stuff like that but then also this spirituality and the house music vintage house music chicago grooves you wouldn't think that jazz fusion and house would go together but of course they're both spiritual musics it's just a sort of different thing and what i gather is you need not only the upbeat music to get people motivated but then 
the meditation come down music. And what I like is that there's elements of both on this Apocalypse album. I'm certain you're going to find something on here to appeal to you. So Thundercat, we're going to send you home with the Thundercat Apocalypse album, and you'll let us know. Dr. Cott, you've got your stethoscope on as well. What have you got? I do, and uh, I'm fascinated by this. I I, uh, immediately hit on a couple of ideas. Richard, this is scientifically tested because I went not to a martial arts instructor, but to the next closest thing that I knew personally. I have an acquaintance who uh, trains boxers at a gym nearby where I live. He's playing a lot of music when they're working out. And I said, what's your go-to music when you want these guys pounding away? And he was telling me about Thin Lizzy really works. The exact quote was, when I want my boys to break things... Heads, bones, skin. <laughs> I crank up the thin Lizzie. Well, well, what on. about the spirituality, Greg? Well, you know, there's there, there's room for the spirituality. And actually, thin Lizzie has that side of it as well. But I'm thinking, Richard, if you're going for the bone break mode, the two mid-'70s Thin Lizzie albums, if you put those records together, Fighting from uh, 1975 and Jailbreak from 1976, even just those titles alone kind of give you a tip-off about where this music is coming from. I think they'll do it for you. It's an Irish rock band that was fronted by the late, great songwriter Phil Lynette. But the key to those two records, for me, was the addition of two guitar players to the band. It had been a one-guitar outfit up until then. Then they retooled in the mid-'70s. You got Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham in the band. And I made a little playlist for you. Combine those two records. Your own mixtape. Pick the rock tracks from those two records. Put them together. You'll have a nonstop fight party breakout. I mean, it's uplifting anthemic, but still enough texture and groove and dynamics with those two guitars that it isn't going to get boring. So I think it might do the trick for you. Thank you. Sifu, I want to underscore, you only use these awesome powers for good, right? I mean, that's part (laughs) of the discipline. With great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) Okay. All right. I think that's important to remember. Thanks, Sifu. This has been fascinating. You're going to take these tracks home. You're going to use them for a week out there in your classes, and we'll check in with you in a week and see how they worked out, right? Thank you very much. Keep that crane pose going, listeners, because after a short break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we'll see whether any of our prescriptions work for our patient. Then, later in the show, we'll review the new album from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And today we are the Rock Doctors, helping listeners in need of a musical prescription. Our patient this week is Sifu, or Master Richard Barron, of Kung Fu Power in Highland Park, Illinois. Richard requested our help with the soundtrack to his classes. When we spoke, we prescribed him two artists, Thundercat, a Los Angeles-based bassist and electronic music maker, and Thin Lizzy, the Irish classic rock band from the mid-70s. Before we see how the medicine went down, let's take a visit to his studio in suburban Chicago to see how his students feel about their school's music. This is powerful stuff, and then that's what we want. We want loud music, I want strong music. When I hit, I want to hear the sound in the background, you know what I'm saying? So something that goes with my punches, you know? My main problem with the playlist is it always feels like I'm kind of in some kind of chase scene in a movie or like on a horseback riding into battle, and I just don't want to feel that way when I'm just trying to be calm and practice kung fu. I've heard this playlist uh, about 547 times. This is Blinded by the Light by uh, Manfred Mann. I can feel when it's coming up, and I and I like the song, and I, I used to, I grew up with it. Uh, yeah, I got a little tired of it. I know this will sound a little ridiculous, but I would totally, totally train to I Will Survive. identify with that you really want to survive out there in the world and it's not about men it's not about other women it's just about you surviving oh no we love listening to music when we do kung fu so the interesting thing about this is this is hard work in fact the name of the system kung fu means excellence through hard work so the problem that you've got is yeah dude you're working so if you don't have music to listen to, it's much, much harder. But if you've got you know, good, epic, rockin' music to go to, this is great. So the Pink song we were just listening to is a really good example of good, good kung fu. Pink has just so much attitude, and she's going to let it all hang out. Dr. Cott, let's see if we've succeeded in providing Sifu Richard Barron with some songs that helped his students kick their way through class. Hopefully the music worked. He's been playing our suggestions for a week now, and he's on the phone. Uh, Sifu, welcome back to Sound Opinions. Thank you, sir. All right. First off the bat, tell us how you road tested these prescriptions. Okay. We tested out on a bunch of our lessons, both classes and private lessons with kids and adults. We found that then Lizzie did okay, mm-hmm. and that the Thundercats was pretty rough. Mm. I had a lot of kids really excited as soon as they heard the name Thundercats. <laughs> All right. It's, it's singular, Thundercat, one guy. This is going to rock, or Thundercat. Yes. You know, they decided that this was the thing, and as soon as I played it, I just saw the disappointment in their eyes. Do you know time will pass? 
did not put us in the groove to train. Interesting, because there's both upbeat and ambient kind of chill-out songs. Neither the faster, harder stuff for the dance stuff, nor the None chill of it stuff. Works. We wow. we were really <laughs> searching for that one song that would kind of bring us into the groove, and there was not a single song on the CD, unfortunately. In class, we're doing a lot of drills, and it's very fast-paced, and it just wasn't the right Punch. thing. And back. Yeah. Punch. And back. Ready. All in motion. Ready. Go. 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 So Go. it was too slow. Go. It was beyond Go. too slow. It, it <laughs> lacked soul. The soul that it has is fantastic for perhaps relaxing on your couch or having a drink, but it does not inspire people to greater heights of athletic ability. Yeah, well, I guess it's something I can't quite relate to, greater heights of athletic ability. <laughs> you know, I, I would love to change that for you. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know you would. I know you I hope you just don't attack me for malpractice. <laughs> Let's zero in on an especially bad track, if you can name one. Okay, so let's start with the, the first song on the CD. Tenfold? Tenfold. The song starts out slow and also has a lot of discordant notes. And as the song goes, it never gets my students or myself into the groove. What about the lyrical content? Nothing there? I mean, because it's a lot of spiritual talk on this album. There is, but it, it seems more babble. I wasn't finding a lot of, of a strong message that we were able to, to get from the music. All right. There's all that talk about straight tripping in the darkness with the goblins. I, I thought, that, you know, there we go. I'm going <laughs> to lay them down with my awesome power of kung fu, the goblins. You know, like, I, I was wishing for that. I, I really <laughs> okay. was. Yeah, I, I yeah. was wishing for it. If I can jump in here on the Thundercat, because given the parameters, Sifu, that we were seeing from you, I thought the Thundercat, Dr. D. Rigatis' prescription might work as well. That's well, good to get a consult Because there, it's Dr. kind Todd. of a, a, I think you weren't looking for something real obvious. That, that was the sense I got. Your students weren't looking for just one thing, but they wanted something with a little complexity to it. A little meat on the bone, as they say. But it sounded like this was almost too complicated. There was too much going on, too much variation, and you needed something a little bit more consistent, it sounded like. No, absolutely. we gotta, 
got to be a strong beat. So I prescribed Thin Lizzy, and you had indicated that that was okay, wasn't great, wasn't terrible. You know, they had a few songs that weren't bad. Fighting My Way Back by Thin Lizzy was not bad at all. Wild One and Emerald were pretty good. Fighting My Way Back, Emerald, and what was it specifically about those tracks that worked for you? They put everybody in the groove, and when you feel the music, and you feel the kung fu, you (laughs) feel them as one, it just makes your body feel good when you work out. Now, what was it about the other? Because I, as you recall, I picked from the two albums, the Jailbreak and Fightin' albums from the mid-'70s, which I think were Thin Lizzy's peak time. I thought, let's put together the rockers from those two albums. So the boys are back in town, for example, from Thin Lizzy was a little cheesy. Cheesy, but I thought, you know, Man, I, I don't even do kung fu, and it makes me want to break bricks with my hand. Playing it once in a while, yeah, isn't that bad. But to listen to it every day, that one gets a little old. Too familiar. Too but, familiar. So you're you're going for more of the deep cut than Lizzie. That's the stuff that worked for your classes. Yeah, that got people working out hard. Well, good. I'm glad at least part of the prescription worked for you. So you're going to include some of those songs in your future soundtracks. You got it. Cool. We're going to have to do some research here, Dr. Cott, because I think we're too tethered to the ways of Western medicine. Yes. We need to get a little homeopathic, perhaps. Well, well, I think you're right, and I think the other thing that stuck with me when Sifu was in here giving some demonstration of what he does is how quickly these fights are typically over. Yeah, before they've like begun. You're, you're, like you're done in a blink of an eye, right? So you've got to get to the point pretty quickly in these songs, I would imagine, right? You got it got to be strong and get people in, into it right away. I think, Dr. Yurigatis, we probably should have gone with some uh, hardcore punk or some minor threat or bad brains or something like that. Uh, yeah, to... the heck with the spirituality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could have... Go right for the kill. Sifu, thanks for giving it a shot. We're disappointed that we couldn't bring the epic awesomeness on an epically awesome scale, but we appreciate you trying this out in your uh, classes, and we appreciate the honest feedback. 
Thank you very much. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. If you'd like to make your own appointment with the Rock Doctors or nominate someone you think is in need of musical assistance, fill out a patient form at soundopinions.org. And while you're there, you can see Dr. Cott and I learning a few kung fu basics. To make a comment on anything in the world of music, call our hotline at 888-859-1800. Greg and I will be back with reviews of two new albums by Nine Inch Nails and Sam Phillips. Plus, it's Greg's turn to drop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is a track called Copy of A from Hesitation Marks, the new Nine Inch Nails album, the eighth of Trent Reznor's storied career. Greg, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say this is one of the most important artists of the 90s, the most successful artist ever in the realm of what loosely can be called industrial music. And that, in my opinion, makes him one of the most important rock stars ever. But Trent has had a tortured relationship with his most successful project, Nine Inch Nails, and it always has essentially been a one-man band. The roots go all the way back to 1988, when this kid from a small town in rural Pennsylvania relocates at the age of 19 to Cleveland. Nine Inch Nails begins there. It becomes successful, comes to dominate the charts at the height of the alternative rock era. And unlike many of those bands which fell apart as the alternative movement began to wane, Reznor remained prolific and under a number of guises. It's been a while since he's been on a major label with a very interesting album called Year Zero that was this weird concept album. Was it a comic book? Was it a novel? Was it a movie? It was a multimedia project. It got no respect from the major label. Trent said he was done with that system. He began to experiment by releasing records on the web in a number of guises uh, by himself and also producing Saul Williams. In 2009, he went on the 
wave goodbye to her. And he said that was it. He's retiring Nine Inch Nails. He was married at this point. He has two children. He went through rehab. It was a new Trent Reznor. He stopped in the studio. We had a really fascinating interview with him. He was going to concentrate on some new projects. He did very well scoring several Hollywood films, winning both a Golden Globe and an Oscar for the Social Network soundtrack. And then surprising people, a couple of months ago, he announced that Nine Inch Nails would not only be coming back, but signing once again to a major label. Does any of that matter to the backstory? Well, we're going to dive into the music. This record is called Hesitation Marks, and in classic Reznor fashion, that's a dark phrase that refers to wounds sometimes suffered by suicide victims. Here is a track called Came Back Haunted by Nine Inch Nails on Sound Opinions. That is Came Back Haunted from the new Nine Inch Nails record, Hesitation Marks. Aptly named, Jim, I think uh, in the sense that it is a tentative, sideways step. It it feels not completely invested in, in terms of the way Reznor wanted to approach this music. He wasn't sure what to do next, you know? He had this reputation in the 90s as this angry, aggressive guy, playing these angry songs over these clanging industrial rhythms, and now where do you go? Now you're you're 48 years old, you've got a wife, a family, you've sort of carved out this alternative career for yourself in the last couple of years, doing these movie soundtracks, putting out some independent releases. There's a sense of a guy maturing gracefully. 
Now you go back to that old persona, and what do you got? What you've got is the quietest Nine Inch Nails record ever. And I'm comparing it maybe to something like the, the quieter moments in The Fragile, his classic 1999 album, where he kind of mines some of those deeper, more introspective grooves on this record. But I don't think he's completely committed to it. Everything I say has come before. I am just a shadow of a shadow of a shadow. He says in that song, Copy of A. I think the, some of the quieter moments work. There are some cool little new textures. He's, he's experimenting with some hip-hop and funk beats and tracks like Disappointed and Satellite. There's some falsetto vocals, some new nuances in his vocals that I have not heard before. I love the gambling-like percussion in that, in that track, Various Methods of Escape. But there's a lot of filler on this record. In a sense, it's, it's the worst Nine Inch Nails record simply because I don't think he knows where he wants to go next. I'm going to be generous and give it a burn. Shocked. Shocked I am, Mr. Cott. I think you missed the boat. I'm particularly shocked because it, it's there's a sound here that is right up your alley here. I think that Kanye West's Yeezus, which was very heavily influenced by Nine Inch Nails, and the recent recordings by that band, The Knife, have been taking house music from Chicago circa the mid to late 80s and running it through an industrial and modern electronic filter. I think that Reznor has been listening to that, mm. and there's a lot of grooviness on this record, and it's meditative study on slower house grooves. I, I think this is the, the most soulful record, perhaps, besides the fragile that, that Reznor's ever given us. There are definitely songs that jump out, and it's often the more aggressive stuff, but the other stuff I find really beautiful. And as I've always said about Trent Reznor, I, I was not a, a fan early on. I became a convert later because he has a sonic palette unlike anyone else in rock and roll, and he invents his own orchestra's worth of instruments and applies them to this wonderful melodic, but at the same time abrasive music. This is a, a record that sucks you in if you come to it on its terms, so it's a buy it from me. That's a track called When I'm Alone from the new Sam Phillips record, Push Any Button. She started her career in Christian music, moved over to make six albums with a producer and uh, her eventual husband, T-Bone Burnett, in the 80s and 90s. She wrote the score for the syndicated TV series Gilmore Girls after that and then started her career without Burnett. They, the couple divorced, and Phillips began producing her own records. In that period of time in the 2000s, uh, she recorded a track called Sister Rosetta Goes Before Us that was uh, later covered by Robert Plant and Alison Krauss for their Grammy-winning album Raising Sand. Meanwhile, Phillips has continued sort of a below-the-radar type of career, mainly because even though she's continued to put out music over this time, she hasn't toured a lot outside of her native Los Angeles. In 2009, she started the Long Plate subscription project for her fans, five EPs, an album, a bunch of artwork, essays, short films, and other cool stuff online. And now she's back to making a proper album. Here's a track from it called You Know I Won't from Push Any Button by Sam Phillips on Sound Opinions. Trouble at the back door, you've got trouble on the side. Giving up on love No, no, no You know I won't 
No, I Won't by Sam Phillips from the new album Push Any Button. The first album, Greg, as you said, in five years after releasing stuff online. And it's a it's a proper album. She has said she wanted it to evoke a 1960s jukebox full of brill-building era hits. Now, that might seem odd when you realize how stripped down a lot of this music is. Often there's only one or two drums or a wash of cymbals with the mallets behind her, minimal melodic instrumentation, but the songs are absolutely gorgeous. You know, Sam Phillips, I think, is in the same boat that Amy Mann is in. They are no longer pop ingenues, and they're not hip, you know, except if you remember Sam singing La 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 and the Gilmore Girls. But the brilliance in their songwriting, the the sardonic wit, the incisive observations, the wisdom, coupled with the humor and that flair for melody. I think Amy's a brilliant artist. I think Sam Phillips a brilliant artist. And, and I love this album. She is fighting that 94 Grammy-nominated album, Martinis and Bikinis, which will always be held over her as her masterpiece. But I think this is a great record. It's a buy-it record. Yeah, Jim, I think you nailed it in terms of just how underrated she is. I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of it is that she just doesn't get out of Los Angeles a lot anymore. She doesn't tour these songs anymore, but she's continued to put out great music, a great songwriter, extremely underrated songwriter. Once again, concise pop songs. Yes, more of an acoustic flavor here, a little bit folk-based, but she's colored things in very nicely with strings, horns, keyboards, backwards guitars occasionally to add some effects. Um, Ten tracks, 29 minutes. The one thread throughout her music that has remained consistent for these last two and a half decades is that she never overstays her welcome. Every note Every word counts in these songs, rigorously self-edited as a craftsman. The other thing, too, is in the lyrics, the, the bittersweet quality of these lyrics, mm. I'm, I'm really struck by them. It appears a lot of these songs, the characters are coming out of a breakup or some kind of turmoil in their life, and they're figuring out what really matters, what's worth holding on to in this world. It's a wonderful album. It's a buy it all the way. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us likes to take a trip to the desert island and play you a song we cannot live without. It's Mr. Cott's turn, and he is swimming to the island without the benefit of a shark cage. What do you got for us? 
Jim, the theme music for the DIJ for years has been by that great Australian band, The Saints. Mm -hmm. And I want to return to Australia for this week's DIJ, the band called The Go-Betweens that formed in 77 out of Brisbane in Australia. Basically a partnership between two great songwriters, Robert Forster and Grant McLennan. Forster was very acerbic, very dark, brooding. McLennan had the more dreamy, wistful side. In the 80s, when uh, they started making records in earnest, they were a great indie rock combo. And I would compare them a little bit, at least Forster and McLennan, to a UK band called Squeeze with Chris Difford and Glenn Tilbrook. Sort of that songwriting combination. Easy comparison would be Lennon-McCartney. Mm-hmm. But really, let's go to the 80s, you know? The series of albums they put on the 80s, wonderful, never really made it a commercial impact. They reformed in 2000 with a new lineup. Forster and McLennan remained the constants. One of the few reunions we can talk about where the level of songwriting remained as high in its second act as it did in the first. Their ninth and final album was released in 2005. Oceans Apart, and it's among their very best. The next year, McLennan died in 2006, effectively ending the band, but uh, they went out on a terrific high note. The leadoff song is, is a Forster track called Here Comes a City, and people who are familiar with the Talking Heads are going to recognize a resemblance to Talking Heads' life during wartime, and I think that's intentional. It's basically a story of a train ride, but there's something a little weird and disturbing going on. As Forster is the passenger in this train, uh, seeing the passing countryside, the, his life is in transition as well. Is he running from something or someone? It, it's never fully resolved. The recurring chorus is pushing you away from me. And it's slightly unnerving in the way David Byrne and Talking Heads' best songs could be as well. So it's Robert Forster and the Go-Betweens at their very best. It's called Here Comes a City from 2005, the Go-Betweens on Sound Opinions. Yeah. 
Comes the City by the Go-Betweens, Greg's Desert Island Jukebox pick for the week. What do we have on the show next week, Greg? Jim, we're going to celebrate the anniversary of the release of the Live at Budokan album with Cheap Trick in the studio. As always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Jason Saldana, and the newest addition to our team, Anthony Martinez. And one final news note on the way out. I love that letter from the French Bakery Association criticizing Kanye West for complaining in his rapping about the slow delivery of his croissants. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Uh, good morning. This is Jim Quigley of East Orange, New Jersey. Wonderful, wonderful show on civil rights music. I'm 65 years old, and it stirred some memories for me. My late father, a clergyman, was very active in the civil rights movement, and he received death threats and hate mail and the like. So I was very aware of the, what was going on at that time, and I was becoming draft age. So I just saw the amazing connection between the protest music of the civil rights movement and the protest music of the anti-war movement, like uh, Dylan's Blowing in the Wind in 62 and the times they are changing in 64. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand for the times they are changing. And when Martin Luther King gave that famous speech at Riverside Church in his opposition to the war in Vietnam, he was criticized. They said uh, he should only mind his business and stick to civil rights. And yet he was crossing over. It was about oppression. And, and the music was this reaction to oppression. Thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Nina from Durham, North Carolina. And I was there during the 60s. And I loved your show in the 60s. However, you asked a question about what we thought was the most powerful music, and I think you missed one of the most important points about the music of the 60s, which was not that it was sung by commercial artists, but that there was a whole songbook of songs that were sung by all of the people all over the country who were struggling for justice and equality, and they ranged from We Shall Overcome to We Shall Not Be Moved, If You Don't See Me on the Back of the Bus. experience of people singing together that was the power of the music of the 1960s and the civil rights movement. Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Alex from Minneapolis. I just listened to your episode about the civil rights movement and the music of it, and I really like that you guys included jazz in the conversation about civil rights. So many people who, especially are of my age in their 20s, think that Jazz is a fuddy-duddy old white guy music, but it really isn't. And I was sad that you guys didn't pick up on something I, I learned in one of my college classes, about Amiri Baraka, formerly known as Leroy Jones, trying to brand free jazz as new black music with the, the polyrhythmic, polyharmonic, nonsensical sounds of you know, Ornette Coleman and, and the like. That's a big 
step in the, the connection between civil rights and self-determination and jazz music. Thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Stephen here calling from Sydney. I just listened to the Civil Rights Protest podcast, and you can probably tell from my accent, I'm actually from Northern Ireland, grew up there in the 70s and 80s, and listening to the discussion about Black Bloody Sunday really brought to mind some really powerful events in my youth, and a song called Sunday Bloody Sunday that um, by you 2 and I remember the intro to the live version on uh, Under a Blood Red Sky when Bono yelled out, this is not a rebel song, this is not a protest song. This song is not a rebel song, this song is Sunday, bloody Sunday. They launch into the military beat, it still gets my hairs on end and to me it's still, regardless of what Bono says, probably one of the great modern day protest songs. Anyway, fantastic podcast. I learned a lot. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.